Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How about yourself? Doing good, doing good. I know we're transitioning into spring, so that's always an exciting time of year. And today we're doing kind of a follow-up of last week's discussion. And you know, PSSM type one is really what we focused on last week, but this week we wanted to focus on PSS- PSSM type two and then some other stuff, right? Yes. So PSSM type one, the one we know the most about, we give that a whole podcast. And then I think a nice follow-up is here is where we are at in terms of starting to understand some other muscle disorders that originally we kind of learned about once we realized they had changes in their muscle, but they didn't have that genetic mutation. So we'll touch on PSSM type 2, myofibular myopathy, RER, just kind of other stuff in that general realm that also goes wrong in the muscle. Well, I mean, just to start it off, how does, I guess we could just start with PSSM. How does type 2 differ from the type 1 that we discussed last week? Great question. So kind of super quick recap, PSSM type 1, polysaccharide storage myopathy type 1, is a genetic mutation that causes horses to be very sensitive to blood insulin and store excessive glycogen in a form the horse can't break down for energy. So then when they exercise and they go to use that stored energy, they can't get it and they have this energy crisis and the, the severe consequence of that is tying up. And those horses, because we know they're really sensitive to insulin, we feed them low sugar starch diets, and then we add fat as an energy source. So that is the first thing that they learned about. They're able to identify this genetic mutation. And if you looked at a cross section of that muscle on a slide, you actually saw these clumps of glycogen. So Glycogen is made of sugars. That's what makes it a polysaccharide storage disorder. Once they discovered the genetic mutation, they put everything that still showed kind of these weird symptoms. They could be anything from poor performance to actually tying up. And that appearance on the muscle slide of clumps of glycogen, they said, well, it's not type one because we know they're negative for this genetic mutation. So we'll call it PSSM type two, and then try to figure out from there what's wrong with them. So the funny part is that PSSM type two as a disorder, we don't know the underlying mechanism, although we'll talk about where they're starting to piece out things that maybe used to be called PSSM type 2. Now we're identifying some subsections. And in reality, it's probably not a polysaccharide storage disorder because those horses, even though they have clumps of glycogen, when we look at that cross-section of the muscle, when they actually went back and did testing in terms of muscle composition, horses with PSSM type 1 have abnormally high amounts of glycogen. So the percentage of glycogen that makes up the muscle is much higher than the normal healthy horse. Horses with PSSM type 2 have normal amounts of glycogen. It's because of some breaks in the muscle fibers that you see that pooling or that clumping of glycogen on the slide. So essentially where we start is a genetic disorder that we understand, PSSM type 1, and then we kind of toss 
everything else that has similar clinical symptoms and abnormal muscle histology into this bucket that is PSSM type 2. And then the research goes from there. Okay. 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 So I followed it. So uh, you said the clinical signs are very similar. So would it be worthwhile to kind of go back and talk about uh, what those look like? So, you know, the listeners can understand. Yeah. I mean, it, PSSM type one and type two, they, the horses almost react the same. That is a great question. So one of the challenge with both of the disorders that on the mild end, it's things like performance or behavioral issues. Maybe a horse just isn't doing its job to the level that it was before. Maybe you're seeing some things like reluctance to go to the mounting block. Maybe they start bucking or crow hopping or tossing their head. So the mild symptoms could be a number of things, a horse with arthritis, stomach ulcers, whatever. Those can all be the same symptoms. On the more severe end of the spectrum, which makes it a little bit easier, honestly, to diagnose are those horses who are actually tying up. So they're going to have experience of exercise intolerance where they have episodes of muscle pain, stiffness, reluctance to move. A horse who's in like a full-blown tie-up is going to be refusing to move, sweating, trembling. And then afterwards, you'll see this really dark colored urine. That's because there are byproducts of muscle damage that are excreted in the urine, which make it dark. So in terms of a clinical diagnosis, one of the things that you can do is actually look at certain muscle enzymes. And when there's a period where horses experience muscle damage, those are going to go up and there are actually thresholds that kind of tell us this is a normal increase because of exercise. These are abnormal increases. So that would be serum CK and AST. One challenge with that, um, serum CK, for example, peaks and falls really quickly. AST can be elevated a little bit longer, but it's not always that a spot test on a random day will pick up these elevated muscle enzymes, even though they could be elevated during certain periods because of that damage. But it is a pretty broad clinical presentation of these disease processes. Now, is... is... Uh, just to all these different muscle disorders. So uh, we can test for PSSM type one with genetic testing. We talked about that last week and relatively cheap. I mean, $40, that, that's easy. How do we tell if a horse, I know you, you talked a little bit about muscle biopsy. Is that the only way we can diagnose this or a vet can diagnose this um, PSSM type two and then the others? Yep. That is a great question. Yeah. So today, the only test, hair test that has that strong peer review and has causatively linked a mutation with an actual disease is the PSSM type 1 hair test. There are some other PSSM hair tests on the market. The challenge is those haven't gone through that same process of rigorous peer-reviewed testing. And in fact, I mean, this is actually a little bit controversial because there are some people who've used the tests, feel really strongly about them. And then we have researchers who are working in this field who have said, you know, hey, this, this is a little bit concerning that it didn't go through that due diligence process. These tests are still being offered commercially. So now there have actually been a couple published studies by 
labs that aren't the manufacturer of the tests that essentially went back and looked at the genetic mutations that are supposedly tested by these hair tests that aren't type one and how prevalent they are in the normal population of horses. Mm-hmm. So the variants that this other test is testing, it's found in healthy and horses who have been diagnosed by muscle biopsy with these different disorders. So a really good example, they looked at a control group of horses who were healthy, warm bloods and Arabians, and then a group of warm bloods and Arabians that had been diagnosed with myofibular myopathy, one of the extra Mm -hmm, levels mm -hmm, that we'll get mm -hmm. to that's come out of the PSSM type two bucket. And anywhere from, you know, 25 to 30% of these horses, regardless of whether or not they have a muscle disease, will test positive for one of those variants. And then in a separate group, they looked at quarter horses and they found that for one of those mutations, P2, 45% of healthy quarter horses had that mutation um, and anywhere from 15 to 18% of healthy quarter horses possess the P3 and P4 mutations. So there are other tests on the market. Uh, and right now, the science that has been published suggests that these mutations, these variants that have been identified probably just exist in the population. And and some of those horses have muscle disease and some do not. So based on the information today, I, as a horse owner, would only feel comfortable using a muscle biopsy for a horse Mm. that I suspect has a muscle disorder. So if it's a horse who is of the breed that PSSM type one is prevalent, we'd absolutely go ahead and do a hair test. Now, there is crossover. Quarter horses, for example, can have type 1 or type 2. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> That's getting complex, yeah. Yeah, so you would yeah. do the hair test, rule that out, and then move yeah. on to a muscle biopsy. I understand, you know, there's there's some concerns that, it, that it's invasive or about cost. Um, I would say it's relatively, in the grand scheme of things, not that invasive. And there's even a newer method that's less invasive than the traditional muscle biopsy that can be done. And relative to cost, you're looking at several hundred dollars for that hair test that doesn't have, you know, all of that science behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's usually Mm -hmm. not that much more expensive to do a muscle biopsy. So something you would talk through with your veterinarian. Mm -hmm. uh, But certainly as I'm making dietary recommendations, um, I would love to actually you know, have that information from the muscle biopsy to help us make those decisions. Because again, some of those symptoms could be attributed to other things. So you could spend a lot of time making small dietary changes, thinking your horse has a muscle disorder and it doesn't. And then I'll just give you a great personal example. I did a muscle biopsy on a personal horse Uh, probably four or five years ago at this point, uh, we'd ruled out a lot of other things. And I thought that thought, you know, maybe he's mildly tying up. Let's go down that path. Well, in fact, that horse wasn't tying up, um, but the muscle biopsy actually led to his ultimate diagnosis with something else. So there are other things that can systemically cause some of those same clinical symptoms that Mm. the muscle biopsy may be useful information. And we honestly never would have diagnosed that horse without that information. So uh, it was ultimately worth it in that particular case. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and listening to you talk, it just, it 
again, it makes me appreciate your veterinarian, you know, our veterinarians more because they've got to go through all of this, this checklist in their head and, and, and how do you get to a diagnosis with, with these horses? And then you're right. There's so many tests on the market that, you know, which one do you use? And that's why I would just always say, talk to your veterinarian, you know, talk to your, talk to your vet about what's going on, give them the, the, the clinical signs, the symptoms, and then let them help you reach that diagnosis. Now, similar to our type ones, you said 45% of quarter horses are carrying those mutations. But we don't but again, know those mutations mean disease. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> of that percentage, what, who, who's going to be affected by that? So that's probably not a good indicator of, of what I'm trying to get at is what other breeds, is it very similar to our type one? Is it, is, is it our same breeds and mm. disciplines? Yep. Nope. That is a great question. So quarter horses are impacted by type one and type two. The interesting thing about quarter horses, when you look at the percentages, it tends to be horses who are more bred towards the halter lines that have PSSM type one and horses that are more debt bred for your performance disciplines, your barrel racing, reining, cutting, whatever, that tend to be type two. That That's not a perfect mm-hmm. way that you would delineate them. But if you look at the research and the buckets that they fall in, that tends to be how they follow. Uh, you, you know, your type one impacts a lot of draft breeds quite a bit, less so your other light horse breeds. So if you look at the type of muscle disorders those horses are being diagnosed with, you will absolutely have standard breads, thoroughbreds, Arabians with PSSM type 2, and also warm bloods. So part of the decision process on how you go through your diagnostic process that you would work with with your vet is what breed is your horse? If you have a thoroughbred, you don't really need to worry about sending that hair off for type 1 because that's not a genetic mutation they found in that yeah. breed. It's uh, a good point. It's a good point. It's a good point. Now let's talk about management. Again, do we manage these horses very similarly, you know, whether it's type one, type two, or the other muscle disorders? Is it is it the same approach? Ah, good question. Yeah. So originally we we're like, well, there's something wrong with these horses. We don't know what. <laughs> we know this dietary change works for horses of type one. So to start, they just fed type two horses the exact same way. What we are learning is that they don't really respond the same way to those dietary interventions. We also don't know the mechanism for PSSM type 2. So we've made some shifts in how we feed those horses. Some respond well, some don't as much, probably because there are multiple mechanisms that are right now grouped in that PSSM type 2. So broadly speaking, with a horse with PSSM type 2, we're not as worried about super low NSC. We're still not going to feed crazy high NSC because we know that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So a moderate NSC diet, adding fat for additional calories if needed, but not the same focus we have for PSSM type 1. And the biggest change is that we really focus on quality protein for these horses. So the amino acid composition of the feed, a lot of times I add extra ration balancer on top of let's say you fed five pounds of calm and easy, mm-hmm. that would meet all your horse's nutritional needs. I'm going to add an extra essential K to bump up the amino acid fortification of your program. So that is a shift in how we feed those horses where we used to feed them the same as type one. Now we've shifted how we feed type two. Some respond, some don't respond as well because there are 
multiple disorders likely grouped under PSSM type two, which speaking of, we might as well hit one of those. So mm-hmm. myofibular myopathy, MFM, is one of those disorders that they have now said originally when we looked at this muscle change, we would have put it in PSSM type 2. And they've actually developed some additional diagnostic procedures in terms of how they look at the muscle itself, which has teased out a different problem in the muscle occurring. So in this group, there's actually breaks in, they're called myofibrils, but think about them as the contractile proteins. So the length of protein that's running down the muscle have some breaks in them, and they've developed a staining process that shows that there are certain proteins that are accumulating in higher content than normal as a result of those breaks. So that's, the name is myofibrillar myopathy. What's happening is the myofibrils are kind of breaking in a way they shouldn't. And then this is a group that's been pulled out of your PSSM type two. They don't specifically know the mechanism on this one, but they're getting closer. Some mm-hmm. things some things that they do know, the signaling pathways don't seem to respond correctly to exercise. So when that horse works, normally what happens is there's muscle breakdown and then those muscles rebuild themselves. That's just the normal process. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, there's a lack of muscle repair. And then damage to the cell components and they experience a lot of oxidative stress. So the current theory is this may have something to do with cysteine metabolism. It's one of the amino acids and it plays a large role as an antioxidant. But what's really interesting about this is that they think it has a lot to do with oxidative stress. And one of the things that creates oxidative stress is a lot of fat in the diet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So think back to those horses that we used to feed like PSSM type one didn't mm-hmm. improve and we didn't know it was wrong. We would have been feeding them exactly opposite. Yeah. High fat. Yeah. yeah. Based on what we understand is likely the mechanism underlying that disorder today. So in these horses, we're actually thinking about, again, moderate NSC, not as much fat in their mm-hmm. diet, and then a big focus on those high quality amino acids and also antioxidants. Lots of different antioxidants, things like vitamin E uh, is a big one. Uh, There's some novel antioxidants that they're testing to see if those help as well. But it's just really fascinating as you start pulling out these different muscle disorders, we're learning more and more about how we manage them. So this is something that I do some continuing education courses with vets. A lot of times we'll cover these. And what I tell them is that these are the dietary recommendations based on the research today. Yes. However, I expect them to change. Change. They'll change. Yep. Yep. We we don't know that much about it, but we're learning more. And uh, it's amazing the progress that's been made even in just the last 10 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. In this particular space. Think about it. Yeah. I mean, in 10 years, it's totally changed. It's, It's absolutely changed how you approach it. And was there any other uh, disorders that we didn't uh, cover yet? So the one other one that we should probably touch on is RER, recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis. It is an intermittent form of tying up in horses that it appears to involve an abnormality in intracellular calcium regulation. So these horses also tie up, but like totally different mechanism from any of the ones that we just talked about. Uh, You know, 
It's not a function of dietary calcium. Uh, That one definitely comes up a bunch. It's an actual intracellular regulation issue. Uh, Primarily an issue in thoroughbreds, particularly on the racetrack. So we don't often see this outside of the racetrack. It does happen occasionally um, as well. But, you know, interestingly enough, the dietary intervention that works for PSSM type 1 helps with RER, different mechanism, Mm -hmm. Um, but higher fat, lower NSC, and then a big part is minimizing excitement um, because hyperexcitability is part of what drives this particular issue. Um, For example, there's some research that happens more commonly in fillies, happens more commonly in two-year-olds than it does the older racehorses, and it happens a lot more commonly when they're just galloping instead of breezing or racing. So they get excited because they're not really able to like go full out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But ultimately a very interesting group of issues. And we're starting to learn a little bit more how to manage the different ones. Um, But I would say key is to find out exactly what issue we have and then recognize we're going to make some dietary changes, but that this is an ever-evolving area. Um, so the dietary recommendations that we made a couple of years ago are not what we recommend today for some of these. This will probably be doing an update in a year or two about <laughs> what changes, <clears throat> which is needed. You know, we'll, we'll definitely need to do that. It is fascinating in, in how you've got to manage each one differently and diet is so important. But the other thing in my head was exercise. So do you have any final tips when dealing with these muscle disorders? Very good question. So we know, especially with PSSM type 1, consistent exercise is key. That if we just change the diet of a horse with type 1 without implementing very, very consistent exercise, we're often not successful. That consistent exercise does appear to be important for our PSSM type 1 and myofibular myopathy horses as well. Although they don't seem to be quite as sensitive in that if they get a single day off, they might tie up. A lot of times each horse might be a little bit individual, so they do need consistent work. However, it may not be quite as important that like if they don't move for a single day that you're going to run into issues. But absolutely, just making dietary changes and then riding that horse once a week, you're very unlikely to be successful in improving their clinical symptoms. Yeah. No, and, and and for any of the listeners, you know, it, again, these horses can be managed. They can be managed through their diet, then exercise. They can live long and healthy and happy lives. So again, if you are concerned about your horse or what you're feeding your horse, please reach out to the tribute team. It's a free consultation. They can get you going in the right direction. But also always speak to your veterinarian. If anything health related, that's the first place you want to go is pick up the phone, give them a call and say, hey, I'm observing this. What do you think? But thanks for listening. Nicole, great job on that. I mean, it it, it is a very complex topic that you broke down very well. And, uh, you know, thanks for doing that and, and, and helping educate the listeners. Yeah, happy to help. This is fun stuff to talk about. <laughs>